we're going to have counseling for anyone who's having donut uh, withdrawals. There'll be counseling later on in the prayer room, okay? So, unless you snuck a donut in. If you did, then you're in trouble. (laughs) All right. Someone once said of the book of Exodus... Exodus is preeminently the book of redemption in the Old Testament. It begins in the darkness and gloom, yet ends in glory. It commences by telling how God came down in grace to deliver an enslaved people and ends by declaring how God came down in glory to dwell in the midst of a redeemed people. Tonight, we are in the last chapter of Exodus, chapter 40. If you want to turn there, if you haven't yet. Exodus, chapter 40. In this chapter, we will see God come down in glory to dwell in the midst of his people. The book of Exodus began with the cruel, oppressive rule of the Pharaoh. Chapter 1 tells us that the Israelites' lives were made bitter with hard bondage. They were forced with hard labor along the Nile. They suffered and many died. They were in a land that was not their home. But God had a plan for their redemption. Based on his covenant promise, he would rescue them from Egypt and lead them to the promised land. And in the end, God would be the one to get the glory. In Exodus 6.6, which is one of the key passages in the whole book, God declares, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. So throughout the book of Exodus, God was moving to save his people. And he would explain why he was saving them. He said it was for his glory. In chapter 3, when he met with Moses at the burning bush, he said, I am who I am. And he said, thus, you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, thus, you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And then he declared, this is my name forever. And this is my memorial to all generations. He met with Moses so that the Israelites would know that he is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Remember when he cast the armies into the Egyptian sea, into the sea, the armies of Egypt into the sea. The Lord declared in Exodus 14, he said, so I will gain honor. I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in response to that incredible action of salvation, the Israelites gave the glory to God. 
And as soon as they passed through the sea, they sang the song of the horse and the rider. Exodus 15.2 says, The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. They gave him praise again when they reached Mount Sinai. And then they began to work on the tabernacle. And all this was in keeping with God's plan where he would save his people for his glory. The exodus was all to the glory of God. This was all in keeping with God's purpose where his people would be saved for his glory. So tonight, the book of Exodus reaches its wonderful conclusion here in chapter 40, where the people were waiting to see the fulfillment of the promise God made back in chapter 29, where he said, So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. I will dwell among the children of Israel and be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So the Israelites, they got to work on the tabernacle that you guys have been seeing. And here by chapter 40, they are anticipating to see the glory of God come down. But before they could see it, they needed to set up the tabernacle. Some assembly was required. And this final chapter of Exodus is about setting up the tabernacle. It's being set apart as a focal point in the camp and the anticipation of the presence of the glory of God. So I have a simple uh, two-section division here. In verses 1 to 33, we have the setting up of the tabernacle. And in verses 34 to 38, we have the glory of God descending on the tabernacle. Look at verses 1 and 2. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the month, you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. The tabernacle was completed around a year after the exodus from Egypt. The people arrived at Sinai three months after the exodus, and then they were at Sinai for about eight and and a a half months. And then part of that time, around 80 days, Moses was on the mountain. So the tabernacle would become the place where sacrifices are made, where the priests officiate, where the people are represented, and where the presence of the glory of the Lord will rest. So it was time To set up the tabernacle, some assembly was required. Have you ever ordered something that you really wanted? And then you wait for it to be delivered? And when the package arrives, you immediately crack open that box? And what you find is a whole bunch of different parts that you have to assemble? You get a list of the parts, a set of directions that tell you how to assemble the thing you ordered and get the user's manual and telling you how to use the product. Many times we disregard those uh, instructions and we try and do it on our own. Sometimes it turns into a bigger mess 
when we do that. But in verses 3 to 8, we have the assembly instructions for the tabernacle that Moses was to, to follow a careful order in this setup. In these verses, God tells Moses how to put everything together and where he wanted them put. Look at verses 3 to 8. It says, You shall put in the ark of the testimony and partition off the ark with the veil. You shall bring in the table and arrange the things that are to be set in order on it. And you shall bring in the lampstand and light its lamps. You shall also set the altar of gold for the incense before the ark of the testimony and put up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. Then you shall set the altar of the burning of the burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of, of meeting. And you shall set the labor between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Um, verse 8 says, You shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen at the court gate. Uh, did you guys get any maps or anything? through? See any visuals of all this throughout the season when you guys were going through all this? Okay, good. Um, first, Moses was to set up the ark that was placed in the Holy of Holies. Then he was to set up the furniture that went inside. Then he was to set up the furniture that went outside. And then last, he was to set up the fence around the perimeter. Once he had set all this up, Moses was to set it apart and anointing it for the sacred service of God. The anointing had to be done with both the materials and the men of the tabernacle. Um, Notice what God says in verses 9 to 11. He says, and you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it. And you shall hollow it and all its utensils and it shall be holy. You shall anoint the altar of the burnt offering and all its utensils and consecrate the altar. The altar shall be most holy and you shall anoint the laver and its base and consecrate it. So anointing, it symbolized purity. It symbolized sanctification, consecration, being set apart. And the result was that the tabernacle and all its furnishings were dedicated to God. Moses also needed to uh, consecrate the men who served at the tabernacle. God reminded him how to ordain um, Aaron and the other priests. Look at verses 12 to 15. It says, then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and wash them with water. You shall put the holy garments on Aaron and anoint him and consecrate him that he may minister, minister to me as, a, as priest. And you shall bring his sons and clothe them with tunics. You shall anoint them as you anointed their father that they may minister to me as priests. For their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. So like the tabernacle itself, the men who served there had to be anointed for the holy service of God. And their anointing, this this was a, a beginning, an inauguration for a hereditary priesthood for the, for the future. So these were God's final instructions for the tabernacle that Moses was careful to follow. And in verses 16 to 33... Uh, We have the tabernacle assembled and raised. 
Look at verse 16. Thus Moses did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. So he did. This verse, verse 16, it's a summary statement of Moses' conduct. His obedience is stated seven more times throughout this passage. Uh, as he's setting up the tabernacle as it's taking place in uh, verse 19, verse 21, verse 23, verse 25, verse 27, 29, and 32. You'll see this uh, as, Moses, as he was commanded, as he was commanded. And obedience is very important. Obedience is, per, is very important as God mentions it many times actually in the last two chapters about the tabernacle. Even as Deuteronomy 13.4 says, You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice. You shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. And Psalm 112.1 says, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in His commandments. God desires for us to be obedient to Him, to pay heed to His commands to hear his voice and to obey him. Then to show that Moses did as he was told, the following verses tell us how he set up the tabernacle piece by piece. And as each piece was put in place, there was this anticipation to be, there had to be, I think, the way I see it is there had to be this anticipation building for the glory of God to come down. Look at verses 17 to 19. And it came to pass in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was raised up. So Moses raised up the tabernacle, fastened its sockets, set up its boards, put in its bars, and raised up its pillars. And he spread out the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent on top of it, as the Lord had commanded Moses. So Moses set up the tabernacle itself, the tent of meeting, this was the holy dwelling place of God representing his presence before the people. Moses set it up just the way God said. So Moses pitched the tent of meeting just as God said, but the glory of God still had not come down. Look at verses 20 and 21. He took the testimony and put it in the ark, inserted the poles through the rings of the ark, and put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle, hung up the veil of the covering, and partitioned off the ark of the testimony as the Lord commanded Moses. The ark was put in the Holy of Holies, the most important part of the tabernacle. The Holy of Holies was entered once a year on the Day of Atonement. The ark of the covenant represented God's throne. So it was placed where he ruled in majesty. Inside the ark went the two tablets, the Ten Commandments, the rod of Aaron and the pot of manna. And the ark showed God's legal authority over Israel, but it also showed his grace because it was covered with the mercy seat where blood was sprinkled to make atonement for Israel's sin. So Moses put the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies, but still the glory of God had not come down. Next, he set up the furniture that went right outside the holy place, starting with the table of showbread. Look at verses 22 and 23. 
He put the table in the tabernacle of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil. And he set the bread in order upon it before the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. So the table of showbread was set out as an offering for God. It was a reminder of God's provision and a sign of the fellowship that he shared with his people. There were 12 loaves uh, in two stacks of six that were eaten on the Sabbath by the priest and, and, their, and his family in communion with God. You get that in Exodus 25. So Moses put the bread on the table, but still the glory of God had not come down. Then he set up the golden lampstand. Look at verses 24 and 25. He put the lampstand in the, the lampstand in the tabernacle of meeting across from the table on the south side of the tabernacle. And he lit lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. So the lampstand, it flickered with light, showing that in both creation and redemption, God is the source of all light. With all its buds and the blossoms, the lampstand looked like a tree of life. And so it was a reminder that God is the origin of life as well as the source of true light. So Moses put the lights on the lampstand of life, but the glory of God had not come down. Moses proceeded to set up the altar of incense, which stood between the table and the lampstand next to the Holy of Holies. Look at verses 26 to 28. He put the gold altar in the tabernacle of meeting in front of the veil. And he burned sweet incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He hung up the screen at the door of the tabernacle. So the altar of incense was used regularly to burn incense before God, representing the prayers before God. On it, Moses offered the first incense and the first prayers. But the glory of God did not come down. Then it was time to step outside the outer veil where there was more furniture to put in place. Moses started with the great bronze altar of sacrifice. Look at verse 29. And he put the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered upon it burnt offering, the burnt offering and the grain offering as the Lord had commanded Moses. By making these offerings, Moses inaugurated the system of sacrifice that would atone for Israel's sins and give praise to God. So the burning altar was in place, but still the glory of God had not come down. Next, Moses set up the bronze basin where the priests were consecrated for their sacred duties. Look at verse 30 and 31. He set the laver between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and put water there for washing. And Moses, Aaron, and his sons would wash their hands and their feet with water from it. Verse 32, whenever they went into the tabernacle of meeting and when Moses came near the altar, they washed as the Lord had commanded Moses. So the basin was now ready. The priest had a place to wash, which symbolized the cleansing power of God's grace and the purity that was required for his, to be in his service. But still, the glory of God had not come down. And last, Moses erected the outer fence that formed a courtyard around the innermost tabernacle. Look at verse 33. And he raised up the court all around the tabernacle and the altar and hung up the screen of the court gate. 
So Moses finished the work. The screen separated the tabernacle from the rest of the camp, showing that God was holy and set apart from sinners. But because the curtain formed an entrance, it also showed that there was a way for sinners to approach his holiness. This is how Moses set up the tabernacle. Notice the end of verse 33. It summarizes by saying, so Moses finished the work. Everything was done right. Over and over again, the Bible says that he set up the tabernacle just the way God told him to. Hebrews 3.5 tells us that Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. So everything was in place. The only thing missing was the one thing that everyone was waiting for. Everyone was waiting to see, and that was the glorious presence of God. The thing is, this was not something that Moses could set in place. With the right instructions, he can put the tabernacle together, but only God could fill it with his glory. So in verses 34 to 38, the glory of God descends on the tabernacle. As Moses finished his work, the people did not have to wait long. The last curtain was tied to the fence post. Moses stepped away and look at what verse 34 tells us. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This was the seal of approval on all the work that Moses and the Israelites had done, the glory of God came down. Moses and the people had, they had seen signs of his glory before. They had seen it in the pillar of cloud and fire that protected them from Pharaoh's army and guided them through the wilderness back in Exodus 13 and 14 and 16. They had seen it in the miracle at the Red Sea when God was glorified in the deliverance of Israel and the destruction of Egypt. They had seen the glory in the fire and smoke from a distance in Mount Sinai. Exodus 24. Moses had seen the glory or at least the back of it when he met with God in the mountain. In Exodus 33 and 34, 5. And here it is, the glory of God come down to earth in all its incredible amazement, hovering over the tabernacle, filling it with glory. The glory of God in the tabernacle was greater than what Moses or any of the Israelites could witness. One person said it this way. He said, God's glory is the weightiness of his divine being the infinite perfection of his triune deity. Glory is the whole godness of God. On this occasion, God made his glory visible in a resplendent cloud of radiant light. This was the glorious cloud that came down on the tabernacle, filling it with the glory of the Lord. That tabernacle, it was just throbbing with God's radiance. F.B. Meyer says that uh, this brilliant light of surpassing glory here spoken of as the glory of the Lord, which was undoubtedly the divine Shekinah, 
shone from within the tabernacle itself so much so so much so that the very curtains were transfigured by its glow and the whole place was transfigured and rendered resplendent with glory crazy huh this is the glory that filled the tabernacle it was an incredible display of the radiance of our one true god the god of the exodus he is the god of power who made the heavens and the earth he is the god of justice who dealt with the egyptians he is the god who is displaying his love for israel he is the God of providence who led the people through the wilderness. He is the God of truth who gave them his law. He is the God of mercy who makes a way for people's sins. He is the great God of holiness who desires his people to be holy. The great God of the universe was present in glory. When the people looked at the tabernacle, they could see that God was definitely in the house. The tabernacle was a way to approach God. It is where God was, and because God is holy, it had to be separated from the place where the Israelites were. But there was a way to enter. There was a courtyard where sinners could make the bloody sacrifice that would bring them into a right relationship with God. And the tent of meeting had an entrance, a curtain that allowed the priests to go inside the holy place. The tabernacle was designed to give people access. It was a place to meet with the living God. But even but when the glory came down, access was denied. Even Moses couldn't get inside. Look at what verse 35 says. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This last part of Exodus has been moving toward this moment when the tabernacle would be finished and all the people would be able to meet with their God. But when this moment finally came, the tabernacle was filled with such great glory that even Moses couldn't get in. And from this we can learn how necessary it is for anyone who wants to meet with God to come with a blood sacrifice for sin. In fact, right after this book of Exodus, it goes right into Leviticus, which begins with God giving Moses a long list of instructions for making sacrifices at the, ta at the tabernacle. The only way to approach God, the God of all glory, is to come with a, blood, with a sacrifice of blood. By initially denying Moses' entrance, God is teaching his people the necessity of atonement. But also, we can learn that God is extremely, he is extremely more glorious than we could ever imagine by this display. And I, I thought about this as I was going through this, and I think, you know, we sometimes forget that. I think we sometimes forget how glorious our God is. And after a while, you know, we can, in our walk and our relationship, we can get used to God and we sometimes forget how glorious he is. We can even take for granted the, the vocabulary that we use to describe his divine attributes, his holiness, his goodness, his mercy, his love. 
We can talk about these attributes. We can define them. We even sing of them. But do we really, really have any idea how glorious is the majesty of his being? Are we truly aware of his holiness? But the big question is, does it, how does it truly, does it truly affect our walk with him? Do we know that if we're believers, if we're Christians, that he, we're in his presence and he knows what we're doing? Do we realize that? Do we realize how overwhelming it is to come into the presence of his glory? I think we need to rediscover that. I think we need to reapproach that. Moses knew God better than anyone. Yet when, he came, when, when the glory came down, he was not able to enter. 1 Timothy 6.15 says, Who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. But the awesome thing, you guys, is that the great glorious God of the Exodus, who lives in unapproachable light, was with his people to save them. In other words, the same glorious cloud that kept them away would also stay with them to guide them. God came down in glory so he can be close to his people. So the book of Exodus ends with these words. Look at verses 36 to 38. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel could go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day and fire over it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So this gave Israel, the, the Israelites confidence that God, the God of all glory would be present to guide them in all their journeys. Here we see both God's nearness as well as his greatness of his glory. God did not just rescue the Israelites from Egypt and then dump them out in the desert, in the wilderness, for them to fend for themselves. It was the opposite. He was with his people for their good. But he wanted to do something more than just save them. He wanted to have a relationship with them. This was the awesome comfort that gave them confidence for their future. In all their travels... And through all their troubles, God would be with them every step of the way. He would guide them by his glorious light and defend them by his awesome power. He would lead them night and day until they reached the promised land. God saved his people for his glory. And by the glory of his presence, he would lead them to the goal of their salvation. What God did for Israel was absolutely undeniably glorious. But, but as glorious as it was, it cannot compare to the glorious things that God has done for us. The glory in the tabernacle was the height of the exodus, but not the height of redemption. It is an incredible, beautiful picture of the glory that God has prepared for us in Jesus Christ.
Jesus is the Moses of our salvation. The mediator who goes before us, before God. Jesus is the lamb of our Passover, the sacrifice of our sins. Jesus is our way out of Egypt, which is the world. He is our deliverer. Jesus is our bread in the wilderness, the provider who gives us what we need for daily life. Jesus is our voice from the mountain declaring his law for our lives. Jesus is the altar of our burning where we offer praise up to God. Jesus is the light of our lamp, on our lampstand, the source of our life and our light. Jesus is the basin of our cleansing who washes our hands and our feet. The one who sanctifies our souls. Jesus is our great high priest who mediates for us at the altar of incense. And Jesus is the blood on the mercy seat, the atonement for our sins, who reconciles us to God. The great God of the Exodus has saved us in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the glory in the tabernacle. Colossians 1.19 tells us that the physical body of Jesus Christ is the dwelling place of God. Colossians 1.19 says, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. When God caused all his fullness to dwell in Jesus Christ, his glory came down for us for our benefit, for our salvation, for our redemption, for our guidance. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That word dwelt there in John 1.14, it means um, to tabernacle. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. It means to encamp, to pitch a tent. Jesus Christ is our tabernacle. And as our tabernacle, he is full of the glory of God. When the Son of God came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, the glory of God came down from heaven. Hebrews 1, 1 to 3 tells us, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And then verse 3 of Hebrews 1 says, Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, Jesus is the brightness of God, the glory of God. People could not always see his glory during his time on earth because he was covered by his humanity. But from time to time, they would get a glimpse of it. In his miracles and in his teachings, they would see and hear the power of, of truth and of his deity. And on occasion, God allowed that true glory of Christ to shine so that people could see it. This happened on the Mount of Transfiguration when some of his disciples saw Jesus metamorphosed. They saw him changed. Remember in Matthew 17, it says, Now after six days... Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a mountain, a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, is it good for us to be here? If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. 
And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out from the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and says, Arise and do not be afraid. But these were only glimpses. No one really saw the fullness of his glory until after he died for our sins and was raised from the dead. Then Jesus was fully, re, uh, was fully revealed in all the glory of God. His disciples could see that Jesus radiated the glory of God. This was the most glorious thing that anyone had ever seen, the glory of God in the tabernacle of Christ's body. When the disciples saw it, they fell down in worship. Remember Thomas? At first he doubted, but the moment he saw the risen Christ, what did he say? My God, my Lord and God. What Thomas saw was incredible. What he saw was glorious, the risen Christ. Thomas saw the glory of God in the person of Jesus. And when he saw Jesus Christ raised and glorified, he was so blown away that he began to worship him as his Lord and his God. And if we know that Jesus is the Lord of glory, we are to worship him as well. And what is so amazing is that this same glorious Lord Jesus is with us in the power and comfort and guidance of his saving presence. If we are born again, we can know that we have the glorious presence of Jesus as a great help for us in our journey, in our journey in life. The Lord of glory is with us. His plan was not just to save us by dying on the cross for our sins, but also to have a relationship with us that would last forever. To all who give their life to him, to all who put their trust in him, Jesus has given the promise of his presence. This is a promise that he gave to his disciples. He said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28. And just as God was with the Israelites to the end of their journey, so Jesus has promised to be with us forever. He is in our lives by the presence of his Holy Spirit. He is our guide through his word. He is our help and comfort on this road of life that we go through. And all we go through in life, the God of glory will be with us. Just as he was with the Israelites who were about to journey into the wilderness and where there was little food and water. Yet God was with them and he would greatly supply all their needs. And we may go through different trials in life. But our comfort is God's presence with us no matter what our external circumstances might be. Whatever trials we face, we know Jesus is with us. And that he will stay with us until we, pre until we reach the promised land. If we abide in him. If we have given our life to the Lord, we too have been delivered in on our journey to our final destination, to the promised land. And like the Israelites, we're on our way to reach our rest. But as we journey, we have to follow the Redeemer closely. And we have to allow him to lead us to the promised land. We may not have a cloud over our heads, but we have the word and we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. He wants to take us to our ultimate destination, to be in his kingdom with him, 
Even as Jesus said in John 14, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So we belong to God, you guys. We can take great comfort in this. And it should be a great incentive to live right, to walk closely with our Lord, because the God of the Exodus is still guiding. He still leads and guides to a better country, a heavenly one. Hebrews eleven sixteen says, But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So as we pilgrim on our way through this earth, this crazy world, we are waiting for an even greater glory to be revealed. The glory of Jesus Christ at the end of this age. The Bible promises that one day Jesus will come again and that when he does, he will come in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. There will be no need for a tabernacle then. Because Jesus will take us into the very presence of God in all his glory. Revelation 21.3 says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Revelation 21.22 says, But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. This is the message of the Exodus as it is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Once we were in bondage to sin, once we were enslaved by its domination, but through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, God has delivered us from the Egypt of our sin. Hebrews 9, 11 to 15 says, But God, Christ came as, as high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgression, transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Pretty awesome. Jesus atoned for the sin of the old covenant by his death to guarantee salvation for those who repent of their sins and turn to him in faith. This is why the, when Jesus died on the cross, the moment he died, the veil of the temple was suddenly rent from top to bottom. It gave us access through his blood into the presence of the almighty God, the almighty Lord. I believe we have only scratched the surface of the teachings here of the tabernacle. I was blowing fuses. It could have kept, you know, we could probably do a whole season on this. There's so many lessons for us to discover. 
But it all comes down to this, you guys. God has told us in many ways about his love for us. He has pitched, he has pictured it for us in picture after picture and in type after type. He even constructed a tent in the wilderness to outline for us that whole redemptive process. And now he is leading us through our earthly wilderness with all that life throws at us. And one day soon, Jesus will come down in glory and he's going to take us up in glory that will never end. Everyone who puts their trust in him will be saved for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, I praise your holy name, Lord. Father, your word says that prophets and kings have longed to see what we see, Lord. And we're so blessed to be able to look and see, Lord, the whole redemptive process that you have put together for each and every one of us, Lord. Thank you for the book of Exodus, Lord, and this, all these months that, Lord, we've been going through it and just seeing your incredible work, Lord, of, of deliverance, Lord. And, Father, uh, the care and love that you put for your people, even though your people fail, Lord. And, Father, we just praise you for your graciousness and your mercy every day in our lives, Lord. We praise you. I, t- I pray that you would take my brothers and myself now and just, Lord, continue to strengthen us in the journey, Lord, as we see time winding down, as we look up and know that our redemption draws near. Father, help us to be holy. Help us to be right. Help us to make the right decisions. Help us to flee from temptation, Lord. Deliver us, for you are our deliverer. We love you, Lord. We praise you. And thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen.